while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Um, we have a great guest for you uh, from the Boston Globe, uh, Veronique uh, Greenwood. Good evening, Veronique. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. So uh, f- before we get started, if you could just tell us, um, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm a science journalist. I write mainly about biology, but I've written about physics. <laughs> And I write about more and more about environmental topics because um, there's really no level at which uh, we are seeing a lot of change um, thanks to climate, thanks to plastics. Um, even if you start out writing about cell biology, <laughs> sooner or later, you're going to find plastic. So um, when we're talking, uh, you know, the, the article you wrote um, on the on. Uh, on the in the Boston Globe, uh, you said mm-hmm. plastic isn't actually cheap, and mm-hmm. it's uh, you're, you're saying that there's a co- there's a there's a cost beyond the actual cost of production uh, and sale, right? Beyond what um, uh, that the that plastic carries that is that is actually um, fairly expensive and in fact environmentally um, c- catastrophic. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the way that people in um, in economics and sociology talk about it, they say that plastic has externalities that are they're not reflected in its monetary cost. You know, you might buy a plastic bag for a couple of cents, but what you're not really paying for, what you're not what's not really being taken into account in the the cheapness of the plastic that we've all gotten used to, is the fact that the the production of it entails substantial pollution. Um, the use of it uh, can, you know, it can endanger us. I mean, plastics uh, are actually, you know, we tend to think of them as being stable, but they're not really actually. They're, they they will leach the substances that have been used to make them soft or to make them different colors pretty easily. They get warm, for instance. They're not actually that stable. Um, and then after um, after they've been used, you know, they they fall apart and they don't, they don't ever go away completely. They turn into these tiny flakes and they wind up in everything. You know, there's actually good evidence that now um, adults ingest about 800 particles of microplastic a day on average, just in our food, in the air, they're everywhere around us. Um, So we don't really know what the long-term effects of that ingestion of microplastic is, but it's probably not great. <laughs> and I think that when you look at, um, you know, a plastic lawn chair or, um, you know, a clamshell container with blueberries from the grocery store, you're, we've, we've been trained very carefully to not think about all of these downsides. We just think, keeps my food dry, you know, I, this chair is light. You know, we don't 
we don't see all of the problems. The externalities are not really made clear to us. And I think what I found in the course of the story was that the, the, the problems are really immense. And the fact that when you look at plastic, you don't immediately think this is a disaster. <laughs> it's the result of some pretty, pretty heavy marketing um, on the part of um, plastic manufacturers for the past 70 years or so. Yeah, in, in your in your piece, there's a there's a picture of a river in uh, of Indonesia, um, and look, you know, it, it, when you look at it, it looks like uh, basically a river of debris. Um, right. How is that? Uh, you know, how have uh, how, how does a situation like that come to be? Um, the proliferation of of plastics in in a in a, in a river like that. Well. Um in a lot of places in the world, so in in the U.S., we not everywhere, but we have a we have a there's, there are often sort of centralized garbage processing systems where, you know, it's not it's not that actually plastic is you know recyclable. It's, it's actually not. Um, that's another sort of marketing campaign on the part of plastics companies. Plastic is not cannot be reused. Um, not in the way that well, we've been told. So when so when um, you put plastic into mm-hmm. like your recycling bin, like you know here in Fairhaven we have uh, you know we have the orange bins for recycling. We mm-hmm. put plastic in there. Mm-hmm. Where does it go? Mm-hmm. So if it's pet, if there's, there's a one really kind of only one kind of plastic that is ever recycled at all. Um, that's kind of soda bottle plastic. That is it can never be reused for food packaging again. It is usually turned into like a construction material. It's never, it's never, it's kind of, people say it goes down the value chain. It becomes less valuable. And then it can't really be reused after that. It can be reused just a, a little bit, a few times. All the rest of the plastic is probably sold um, by the town to whomever they can get to take it. And uh, chances are good that the plastic eventually is either dumped into a landfill somewhere or it's burned. Um, it, it's not actually possible. Plastics are not designed to be melted down and then, you know, cast into the same shape over again and used over and over again. It's not possible. Um, and it's not because you didn't wash out your cottage cheese container. <laughs> you know, it's not <laughs> right. your fault. Right. It's not your fault. I think one of the sort of grossest, most um, frustrating parts of this is the way that we've been made to feel that it's like it's our fault that plastic can't be recycled no 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 plastic was not designed to be recycled um so, so yeah sorry go ahead so one of the things that you meant uh, that that you that you do mention in your piece is is the situation that happened in east palestine ohio um where the train was uh the train was derailed um and there was you know sort of a chemical perif- uh, proliferation around the community. What role did plastic play in that uh, that type of um, that really the catastrophe? Yeah. So um, the chemicals that were on that chemical train and the tankers, um, a bunch of them, they were um, they were going to go make PVC. So oh. all of that stuff that wound up in the streams that was in the air. Um, over this town that had the bad luck to be next to a train line, like a lot of places in this country. Um, you know, all of that stuff, like th- that was going to be made into plastic. And if you look at plastic and you don't see that cost, you know, if you look at plastic, and you don't re- you don't realize that, that that's that's what plastic consists of. It's this giant black plume over a town in Ohio. Like that that's 
that's the cost here. Um, if you don't, if you don't sort of see that, it's easy to just, it's just so easy to not see plastic when it's in our lives because it's all over the place. And we've just sort of put it into the, the background of our lives. It's easier not to think about if it's in the background and we've been sort of told that it's, you know, convenience is the most important thing. Um, and when you see disasters like what happened in Ohio, this is one of those moments when the real costs become clear. You know, the real costs are people displaced from their homes. It's um, waterways where it's not really clear. Is Are they going to be, how long are they going to be polluted? What happened to everything that um, was in those tanks that was going to be made into plastic and instead was, um, you know, dumped in people's back, backyards. Uh, and it, it's funny because I feel like when you write about environmental subjects like I do, sometimes you wind up in situations where you're thinking about how do we balance, say, um, you know, the, the, the benefits of preserving a virgin stretch of desert or, or putting um, solar panels all over it, right? Like you, you kind of, it's just sort of this decision you have to make in between, um, you know, the, the future of the planet writ large, you know, having to, you know, move ourselves over to solar and, you know, the sort of conservation of, you know, places that, um, you know, that are currently, you know, they don't have solar panels on them. They have the currently ecosystems. That's, that, 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 that's one kind of trade-off, right, that you see in environmental writing. But this, with plastics, it's just really hard to see. I mean, why would we trade our health, the health of the oceans, uh, the, you know, I went down to Louisiana for this story and I saw, um, you know, what's happening down there where there's, you know, quite a lot of actually new plants being built to make more plastics. And in the process, they're kind of, you know, they're basically building them right in the yards of these historic black communities that are descended from enslaved people. And it's, it's, just, it's just like the towns aren't there. You know, they just build these plastic plants right there by people's houses, by the elementary schools. And you look at this and you think, <laughs> for what? Like, what? <laughs> we're, we're doing all of this, all of this sort of, you know, um, destruction and this endangerment for plastic bags? Like, it, right. it, it really, um, it's shocking, you know? Well, so you talked about some, you know, some of the uh, the problems, and, and you said that there's bills in uh, in in uh, state legislatures and in Congress. You mentioned the Break Free from Plastics Pollutions Acts and the Pre Protecting Communities from Plastic uh, Plastics Act. I, I imagine plastic the uh, industry has a pretty formidable lobby. Um, oh but, my gosh, yes. <laughs> but if, uh, but if, but let's say, uh, it, it w w let's say they're able to, um, you know, get, move this bill forward. What would it be able to, what would this legislation, these pieces of legislation do? Okay. So these are, this is actually a really cool one. I think it's something that, um, could, uh, the concepts in these acts are, are things that could actually help with all kinds of packaging, not just plastics. Um, basically these acts, uh, they want to do something um, that uh, is called extended producer responsibility. And this means that the companies that make these products have to um, 
take the stuff back <laughs> afterwards and they have to figure out what to do with it or they have to pay. Um, they have to pay uh, to, you know, sometimes the money goes to like support research for coming up with alternative ways to package things or um, uh, it goes, basically it's a way of making, um, using plastic for packaging, that basically a way of making it more expensive if you make it the problem of the company that made it, they can't, the plastic becomes suddenly a lot more expensive for them. It's no longer something they can just pass off on towns and on consumers to deal with, you know, <laughs> the recycling facility at your town, looking at this big pile of plastic, thinking like, who's going to buy this? Right. It's not, <laughs> you know, people don't want that stuff. Uh, China doesn't want it anymore. Um, there's nowhere for it to go. And if, if that stuff became the responsibility of the manufacturers, they would have an incentive to come up with another way to do things. What what, what are what are like the other what, what what sort of are there any sort of materials that are that are alternatives? Well, actually, one of the things I found so interesting when I was reporting this story is that a lot of them already exist. <laughs> it's things mm -hmm. like paper and glass and aluminum, which definitely have their problems. Um, aluminum especially can be very uh, damaging to make. But the thing about paper and glass and aluminum is that they can all be recycled. They can all actually be recycled. And they can be turned right back into the same things over again. Um, and that is such a step ahead of plastic, which can't be used again and turns into worse things <laughs> right. the more you leave it out in the environment. Um, so Honestly, a lot of the people that I talked to said, you know, try looking. And it was just so funny because I thought this, this was such a mundane thing. People said, did you know that you can buy deodorant in paper tubes? And I was like, you can? And they were like, yeah, like this is a thing now. Like there are companies out there that are, have seen that people don't, are, are turning away from plastic, don't want it in their lives. And they're, they're saying, well, okay, we can, we can come up with another way to do this. Um, so there are a lot of packaging alternatives cropping up now that are, are basically things you things you know, things you've seen before. They're not new things. Um, and I think that there's really a lot of ground to be made there. I'm very impressed by by the stuff that's come out of that movement. So uh, we're speaking with uh, Veronique Greenwood. She's a, a, um, a reporter at the uh, the the Boston Globe. So um, one more thing before I let you go. I appreciate you talking about this issue. I think it's important, but uh, and it seems kind of redundant to ask this question uh, in, in light of everything we've talked about, but uh, I'm going to ask it anyway because it was something we covered last show and and uh, I think people are interested in it. Fairhaven, here where we are, just passed a knit ban. Uh, I saw in Brewster there was a, a knit ban too. I know Wareham had considered it for a while. I don't know if they had taken it up, but there's a lot of towns in this region and even in some of the Boston suburbs that have, that have implemented uh, implemented knit bans on environmental grounds. Is this, you think... Um, uh, an, an effective and necessary measure or is it something that um, I've heard a lot of people say it's just sort of a way for people to sort of make themselves feel like they're doing something because not as many people drink nips, right? And it's something that, you know, they like in Brewster, they ban nips, but they didn't ban plastic containers. I was curious what, you know, the, 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 the situation regarding nip bans. I mean, really banning plastic containers would be a better approach. I mean, I, I, if, if you want to make a difference, there are so many things that are not little tiny bottles of alcohol, you know, that are a problem. Right. Um, 
you know, the, the problem is so much bigger um, than, than Nibs. That, that said, I don't think that there's anything wrong with, I think that any ban on plastic is probably a net benefit. I don't think that it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's a bad idea, but I, I agree with criticisms that it's, it's a very, very small slice of the pie. And it, you know, if, if people stop there, they're doing themselves a disservice. Veronique Greenwood, uh, um, a reporter for the Boston Globe. Where can people go to learn more about your work? Um, well, you can go to the Globe or you can follow me on Twitter where I'm Vero, V-E-R-O underscore Greenwood. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I got to take a break. We'll be right back. I see some calls online. We'll get to them. Good evening. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I noticed you mentioned that uh, the train was carrying PVC. So is there a good alternative for like a PVC sewer pipe? Yeah, I I didn't uh, I didn't get into any specifics about the paper paper or glass, right? <laughs> paper sewer pipe. You were on the sewer board, right? Or in I was. You yeah, I was on the uh, board of public works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think there's some needs for plastic that you just can't get around it because if you're talking about iron, that's the only other alternative for things like that. Iron that's going to cause you know pollution with the diesel you know, uh, materials and all the air pollution from the nitrous oxide, et cetera, et cetera. If you talk about um, concrete, that's going to be also another pollution with sulfur dioxide. Your other option is the PVC. Right. And, you know, you talk, and I just, uh, I picked up on PVC because that's not what's in, you know, uh, drink bottles and things like that. That's that's PET. So it's a whole nother plastic so i i don't i just didn't get what the train with pvc uh, yes yeah, uh, so, so you know i i, I didn't i prop i could have you know did, with time constraints and all that i couldn't get too deep into you. it right but i probably yeah. could have asked is there a sustainable alternative to pvc pipes and i don't know if there is um right you know I, i'm not sure i think the united states does pretty good because i mean we're like we've got to be 10th or or more on the list of the you know the biggest plastic polluters you know the top is india china indonesia brazil yeah um i don't know after that but we're i mean we got to be like a, a one fiftieth of india you know so you're right i just want to throw that out there you know that I, I think we do pretty well with our recycling and and things like that uh, it's uh it's a global problem you know well it's definitely a global problem but and we did mention Indonesia. It doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, even if these other countries are doing worse, that we couldn't do better. Yeah. But she did mention that, that there's like a, a sea of plastic. They're the ones that's thrown it all there. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand. No, I, I understand completely. I, I do get it. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's, in a lot of cases, like... The plastic straw things, we did find some alternatives to that that I think are are, are manageable. And maybe there's other areas in which we can at least mitigate things um, uh, a little bit better than than um, than than yeah, what we're I'm doing. I'm not carrying around a, a stainless steel straw with me all day long. Like <laughs> right. And the, and the paper ones kind of melt before your drink is even done. I don't so. like the paper ones. Um, but I think yeah. there isn't like other plastic like... Um, uh, 
I think there is another plastic-like material that uh, uh, some restaurants are using now. I can't remember what exactly it was called. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think it's all. I don't think it's all the nips, though. I don't know. I know everyone complains about the nips, it's like, but don't throw them out your window. Don't. I mean, but it's, I don't know. Right. So, there's plastic everywhere. So that's all I got. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program this evening. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. Um, And um, uh, we'll also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. That was Veronique Greenwood. She's a reporter for the Boston Globe. Uh, I thought a really um, interesting piece uh, that she wrote on plastics. Again, you know, we'll we'll have more uh, as time goes on. We'll have some more reporters from the Globe join us uh, on the air. We had Matt Stout, and I thought that was really good. And I just think, obviously, they write a lot of interesting stuff there. Stuff there, and not everybody, you know, I have a subscription, but I understand that, you know, a subscription isn't necessarily doable for anybody. So if we can highlight some of the best stories, and maybe if you are able to get a subscription, maybe it prompts you to get one, I think the Globe's a good resource. So 508-996-0500 is how you can join this evening. We can also take your messages on the WBSM uh, app chat. Tell you what, I'm going to take an early-ish break, and we'll be right back. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. A tree can be a warrior, battling global challenges with greater courage. A tree can be a solution, cleaning our air, supporting our communities, and protecting our wildlife. A tree can be noble, growing hope in every corner of the world. That's why now is the time for trees millions of trees join our planting movement at arborday.org transitioning out of the military it's difficult just about everything around you changes i would get phone calls that brothers were dying some of them to suicide and i'd found myself in another cold cemetery and i started to wonder if i was next it's a struggle to know that you're facing challenges but not be ready to face them. Sleep doesn't come easy. And when it comes, it doesn't last long. You're tired all the time. I didn't reach out for that help, but thank God my wife did. She got me registered for Wounded Warrior Project, talking to somebody that would listen to me and understood my story, helped me realize that it was time to change. There's a new fight, there's a new mission, and that's something I am eternally grateful for. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Meals from those years are hard to forget. It was all white bread and whole milk, hamburger casseroles and quiche Lorraine's, all with a side of cigarettes. We ate salads as desserts. We knew a party was classy if it had a cheese log. 
and we never missed an after-dinner smoke. It didn't matter if we were in our dining rooms, a burger joint, or the ritziest of restaurants. There'd be an ashtray on every table and that very particular flavor in every meal. We smoked for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's amazing that our food could taste like anything else. If that was you, then get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at screenyourlungs.org. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. Children are placed in foster care through no fault of their own. Because of abuse or neglect, it's heartbreaking. We were just left in a hotel. Tay and his brothers were adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. But more than 100,000 children in the U.S. are still waiting for a family. Now that I'm adopted, I can focus on being a kid. Learn how you can help at DaveThomasFoundation.org. You don't have to stick by your radio to hear all of South Coast tonight. Stream Chris and Marcus on the WBSM app or download their podcast. South Coast tonight continues now. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus, 508 996 so you can get in the program. I'll also take your messages on the app chat. We had uh, election in Mattapoisin tonight. I haven't heard anything. Uh, I did put out some feelers. I haven't heard anything back yet. If anybody has any clue to the results, I'd, li- I'd be interested to know. Um, who won? Uh, they should be out by now. I mean, it's a town election. It shouldn't take it shouldn't take that long to get those elect, uh, election results. Um, it shouldn't take that long to get those re- uh, election results um, out there. These uh, school committee races are obviously the ones we're all very very clued into. Uh, of course, we just had Jim O'Brien, who's a candidate for Rochester, um, to the ORR school committee. Uh, he's going to be on the ballot on Wednesday. I know Joe Pius had called into Barry's show maybe a week or two ago. I can't remember. So we want to try to feature all the school committee candidates here if we can. We had all, all the school committee candidates from Dartmouth, um, most of them at least. And we had, uh, I think, most of the school committee candidates from Fairhaven. And even as New Bedford has uh, school committee races coming up, though I think there are usually three seats up for re-election. Okay, so we do have it. Um uh, so looks like looks like a big win for the non-book burners. Uh, Carly, uh, hold on one second. Um, it looks like uh, it looks like um. Yeah, it looks like Carly and Francis won. Um, Francis uh, had won twelve hundred to seven hundred, and Carly won thirteen hundred to six hundred. So it looks like um, again the 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 looks like a pretty good result for again for the non. Um, looks like a pretty good result for the more I guess. I want to say Democratic, progressive, local Democrat crowd here in um, in Mattapoisett. We'll see how it goes in Rochester. I, typically, the school committee races have been very, um, have not been good to the people who are running on a more social conservative platform. Again, you look at Dartmouth. Um, 
you look at Dartmouth, I think pretty comfortable wins for um, Bess Coughlin and Kathleen Amaral. Uh, Fairhaven was a little bit less politically charged. I think everybody still had a, uh, I mean, in terms of the social stuff, I think the candidates in Fairhaven were more or less on par with, and they talked about the sort of these issues and the meet the candidates night and not many, like they, they didn't seem to be much daylight between, they didn't seem to be much daylight between them. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it, you know, it doesn't, it, again, I think it, and it follows a national trend. It doesn't seem to be what people are really clued into or really uh, tuned into here. I mean, they don't really necessarily like these issues. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. So um, one of the, uh, one of the other things I think to follow is um, the mayor is proposing his budget tomorrow. So mayor Mitchell's proposing his budget tomorrow and so I think we're all going to be looking for what he's going to say in that meeting. So the process and the way it goes is the mayor brings his budget to the um, the mayor brings his budget to the um, to the city council. He's escorted by two members of the city council. He has a um, uh, he's escorted by two members of the city council. He presents the budget uh, to the city council. He explains exactly why he made the, um, he explains exactly why, you know, he proposed the things that he proposed. And then the city council takes it up and, you know, they decide to cut, they decide not to cut, they decide where they, you know, what they're going to do um, uh, in certain areas. They have their budget meetings, you know, they have those like preliminary budget meetings that are sort of off the record, but, um and they used to not be televised until fairly recently, but they're now they're televised where they meet with department heads and all of that other stuff. There's then they take the budget up and, um, you know, again, they propose their cuts they not, they, or they don't. But I'm curious to see as to whether or not because we're all looking for, you know, I think we're all looking for clues. We're all looking for hints and whether or not Mayor Mitchell is going to run for reelection. And you saw the state, the, the state of the city address. Um, it would have been unprofessional, obviously, to make a, a an announcement when you're on uh, company time, right? When you're on the city's when you're on the city's clock, it would have been it would have been uh, irresponsible for them to make that type of announcement. But um, having said that, uh, ha- having said that, I do think there's certain projects. It seems like you know, like the beautification program. It doesn't seem like these certain things that are being proposed don't seem like things that would be proposed for somebody that is going to leave office anytime soon. So you wonder what he's going to say in these meetings, what he's going to propose in his budget, if it's anything, you know, in the near term or maybe things that are looking a little bit looking more ahead. And I think that might maybe give you clues on whether or not he will run for reelection. Um, so, you can pull papers now. I don't think anybody has, um, I don't think any serious contender has pulled papers yet for the office of mayor. I think a lot of people are waiting for what Mayor Mitchell will do. And whoever does, you know, and whatever serious contender does pull papers and doesn't care what Mayor Mitchell will do, I think could make for an interesting race. Um, but we'll see on that. I mean, we'll see. We're still uh, still have to check the um, the elections commission too to see who pulled papers for city council and uh, other offices 
um, in uh, other offices in New Bedford to see if there's a lot of action there. There's obviously, I think, been a brighter spotlight on the council after the whole rent control, uh, rent stabilization ballot question, the four-year term ballot question, the ballot question that um, asked people if they wanted to gut the CPA. And so um, I'd be curious to see, you know, uh, I'd be curious to see how the... um, how people are going to respond uh, to that. If people are going to run, if they're going to run on any of those ballot, on the issues that those ballot questions presented, if they're going to run on the Morad pay raises, the one, the pay raises that Linda Morad proposes that were $50,000 pay raises to certain positions in the city uh, that were then reduced to $25,000 pay raises after people responded to it. But you wonder if people are really going to stand up and do something or say something about it. I'm not sure. So 508-996-0500 is how you can get in the program. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. I'm going to take a break now so we can finish out the hour strong. Hey, welcome back. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hello. Hi. What's up? I was just calling about the uh, big uh, city council meeting in time, about the uh, 130... uh, Asian families staying in the uh, hotel. Okay. Uh, it's a, well, the point is, it's not going to cost Taunton. It seems uh, they stay engaged in a contract with the hotel. So it'd be all the taxpayers of Massachusetts pitching in on this. And I'm trying to get some details, how long it's going to be, whatever. This is really a Bristol County issue. It's not really about Taunton. What happens to Taunton is going to be a domino for sure, an influx. So I, I think it behooves everybody in the New Bedford government that's concerned about this in Fall River to uh, get the information on the city council meetings that's going on now. I was there, and um, it's not chaotic, but a lot of concerned citizens because the industrial park, ours anyways, employs over 3,500 people, and a lot of them business people like to go to a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, et cetera. We often did not compete with the Holiday Inn, it was formerly known, and let them be the uh, the monopoly hotel. But, but now it looks like we need a second one because we're not getting details from the governor's office. How long is this going to go on, blah, blah, blah. It's going to go on a long time. We know that. But I think it's a Bristol County situation should be looked into so that maybe New Bedford and Fall River can get out in front of this. Um, Taunton was never notified of this private deal between uh, the hotel in the state of Massachusetts. It's not fair play. Well, why do they have to be notified about it? Because that uh, tax money. So. Do you understand that the state collects taxes and spends it on something like this? Yeah, I guess. I mean, but... I guess so. Well, if, well, when you figure it out, I'll give you a call. Do you have to be notified about every expenditure of public dollars? Or okay, is it just when it relates to... Or just when it relates to migrants? You just when it relates to people from Central America, that's when you have to know? You're just talking about it like you're doing a ledger for uh, pencils and you know, elastic bands and stuff. So obviously I see your prejudice on the whole thing. Can I have a back and forth? Thank you. Good evening. You're live. Hey, Marcus. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Not bad. What are you going for tomorrow night? You got Tony Cabral on tomorrow night? Mm-hmm. When, when, what time is he coming on? Seven. Seven o'clock. Oh, that's, that's not good for me because, oh, boy... That's usually when I'm out with having uh, some dinner. Uh, and any, can you give me a preview, any idea of uh, what he might say, or if he agrees with his colleagues? Or? I'm going to talk about the budget. Um, 
about the uh, the rift between the uh, state legislators and the and the mayor? Yeah, I'm going to ask him about that because he, he has that's a different a opinion one. than the rest of the, the legislator. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big one right there. Let's see if, if he's got a different opinion and how does he look at it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, that that should be the the thing I'd be looking to hear for and. You know, what else can I say? You know, as far as the mayor goes, I don't see anybody challenging the mayor, and I don't see the mayor leaving the office unless somebody gives him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. He's got a lot of plans, as outlined by his uh, State of the City address, and I think he's uh, he's a shoo-in, to tell you the truth. I may not agree with him on everything, but I don't see anybody that can uh, oppose him uh, that can give him a decent challenge. Yeah. Except the one person I've mentioned over and over again, and I don't think... He's interested in running. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I try to. I always try to get something out of him. I always try to ask, but he's always um, very close to the chest. So. Well, here's the other thing too. I, I listened this morning, and I happened to get uh, uh, the old Phil Periologos show uh, run by Tim Weisberg. Mm-hmm. I guess the mayor he said is going to come on at eight o'clock in the morning to speak to him tomorrow. Is he? I think that's what he said. That's not a very good time if he wants to get his message out. Meaning the mayor. I don't know. Um, you know, that's it's a good slot. Um, you know, we have the podcast too, so maybe. Uh, well, yeah, but I, again, I, you guys are all young. You're into that. I, I'm into the radio, old-fashioned style. Come in, yeah. talk to you, and all that sort of stuff. So, right. I think if the mayor is looking to get his side of the story out, I hope that doesn't end up being the time that the mayor comes on at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, if, you know I'm not privy I, to those decisions. I, well, I know, but I'm just you know voicing my, you know, my thing to you. Uh, I know uh, Tim's in the morning. For me, uh, 8 o'clock is, is, you know, I'm barely got any breakfast in me or anything to eat. So <laughs> I hear yeah, you. You know, that sort of thing. I understand. Uh, well, you know, it, it is what it is, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hope uh, somehow they, when this all dust all settles, the mayor will come on closer to uh, midday uh, with the mayor, as they used to call it. And uh, therefore, uh, you can hear how he uh, thinks about things and, you won't be wiping the sleep out of your eyes to say, oh, it's 8 o'clock, this sort of stuff. Another question, I and maybe you don't know because, again, you're on a different thing too. Did Jack Spillane come on this Monday or at 8 o'clock? He was on at 8. He was on at 8, yes. Mm-hmm. He, uh, for me, that's I'm barely jumping out of bed at that time. Being well, some retired. people are early risers. Yeah, but I again, as a person who's you know jumping out of bed at that time, not a good time. And I think some people might be going to work if they're not like me, retired and living on a fixed income, that sort of thing, you know, that sort of stuff. So Right. And, uh, you know, so uh, how is uh, Chris McCarthy doing okay? Yeah, he's doing fine. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess that's about all I got for you, uh, unless you got more for me. No, I, I think uh, we'll be back with Tony tomorrow. Uh, I'm off Thursday, then we'll be back Friday. Yeah, so. is Chris coming back when you're on Friday, or how's he feeling? Yeah, I think he might be back with us tomorrow. Okay. Well, it, that's even better. Yeah. Oh, all right then. Uh, I'll let you go, and uh, you know, have a good night, and we'll we'll talk again. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Okay, bye bye. Good evening. Hey, Marcus. What's up? Hey, um, you're a Fairhaven resident, correct? And um, the uh, special election, I think, is in June for the override. Is that correct? June fifth, I believe. Okay, and um, I, I haven't seen the you know the mock-up ballot. I'm not sure if no is against the override or yes is for the override. I would think it's yeah. I haven't seen it. I believe it's okay. yes is yes is yes is for the override. 
yeses for the O'Reilly. Yeah. No, I, I've seen the signs, and they, they are a little confusing. <laughs> so, yeah, well, um, the, so the first signs I saw were vote no on Prop 2.5, which either sounds like vote no for against the override or vote no against the policy of prop two and a half but then i saw signs afterwards that were similarly like designed that said yeah, no vote against. no against any and all prop two and a half overrides yeah, no no i i saw i'm i'm kind of confident that no is uh yeah do not allow the override yeah um <clears throat> i just voted in uh, man of poison today the uh it it was a funny question to is it all right uh, to allow the town to, um, I, I can't give you the exact wording, but to to allow to to um, exclude Proposition Two and a Half uh, provisions <clears throat> for a uh, debt a bond issue, which is a different thing than an override. I don't know how it did in the, today's election in Mattapoisett, but what I did notice in Fairhaven is that. Uh, Ten days from now, Friday the twenty-sixth, I believe of uh, of this month, is the last day to ask for a mail-in ballot for the special election. Oh wow! And my theory, and my I hope uh, maybe the RNC of uh, Fairhaven is listening. If you're against this override, you can get like-minded neighbors to request the absentee ballot. You might make a. You might be able to make a difference, because I'm guessing the turnout's going to be very, very, very low. Turnout will be very low, of course. Yeah, it's a special election on a ballot question in June. Uh, you know, in a town, I I, I can't imagine. On a it's fri- be- uh, yeah, or yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Probably be a nice day that day. Yeah, too. right. <laughs> it's it's there's there's so much going against that that I can't imagine the turnout will be very high. I know the town meeting did approve the override budget, so. And you know everybody in that town meeting votes. So can you imagine some volunteers going around to uh, like-minded uh, uh, taxpayers and say, "Hey, mm-hmm. might not may not make it to the polls, but would you? Here's here's the form. Would you sign out the form to get an absentee ballot? And we'll follow up just to see if you you're going to mail it in. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a volunteer force could actually uh, put, put the kibosh on this thing. I, I'm I'm guessing you're for the override, right? I don't see any other way. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know the details. I just, but I mean, I kind of knew you'd be that way. But the, you, government's good in general for you. And for me, government's very, uh, very sketchy to be uh, restricted at all costs. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Um, I just, you know, we need firefighters in, 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 a, in a functioning school system. So. It's just they can't, you know, they can't do that with what they got. They can't do it with what they got. So it's just there's a practical reality to to it. You know? I'll, I'll defer to you on that because I don't know the details of their budget. But sure, you got to you got to keep the limit on government. Otherwise, it's unlimited. Yeah. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining me, guys. I appreciate it. I'll see you tomorrow. State Rep. Tony Cabral at seven p.m. Stay tuned. Um, and uh, that's it. Have a good night. See ya.